Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to freely gather here and worship you. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit continues to speak into our hearts, minds, and lives. Lord, help us to be open to your Spirit this day and each day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We continue our series on Galatians. Having gone through the first four chapters, we're here in the fifth chapter kind of starting to get to Paul bringing his argument to a conclusion, and we'll finish up next week with chapter 6 and then begin our Advent journey together. In Galatians 1, we looked at this reminder, this important message that Paul had for the people of the one gospel message of grace, the one truth that is Jesus Christ. In the second chapter, we looked at this issue of faith versus works, that it is not our works that justify us, but it is by faith through God's grace, that we are made right with God. And then, in chapter 3, we looked at our identity as children of God, continuing last week into chapter 4, recognizing what it means to be God's adopted children, a part of God's family, heirs of all of God's promises. Now we journey into chapter 5. This is a powerful chapter. Luther wrote a commentary on Galatians. He loved this book, but even more so perhaps this chapter. Uh, if I could have put in and preached on the whole chapter, I would have. This, there is so much good stuff here. This is a great summary of the Christian faith, of the Christian life, of the gospel message for us. It's one of those passages that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. That it all has meaning, but it is one of these passages for me, one of these chapters in the Bible, one of the three most significant chapters in the Bible in my own formation, my own life with Christ. And so let us dive into this. Paul starts out in this very first verse that by freedom and for freedom, Christ has set us free. Understand that this notion of freedom that Paul is talking about is not the same, of our, the same as our modern American notion of freedom. The freedom to say and do whatever we want unless we don't like what somebody else is saying and doing to us. You see, we have this notion of, of freedom that is not consistent with the biblical notion of freedom. So understand when Paul here talks about freedom, it's freedom from the law, it's freedom from slavery. It's freedom from having to earn our way into God's favor. But it's also freedom to something. It's freedom to love. It's freedom to serve. It's freedom to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's freedom to be who we most desire and were called and created to be. You see, because Paul goes on in verse 2 and talks about this being, even in this first one, he talks about, I'll talk about this first, this yoke of slavery. I don't know if you've ever picked up a yoke, if you know what that is. Paul, when he was talking about these were most likely for oxen, so those are a little heavier perhaps than the ones you might have even picked up. It's not exactly something you want to wear around as a necklace. Wearing one of those things, you'll be seeing the chiropractor three times a day instead of three times a week. You see, for Paul, this issue of freedom from the law, this freedom from slavery was important. Remember the problem in the church in Galatia. He had these new followers of Jesus Christ that were getting distracted. First by these religious Judaizers that were just telling him, you've got to obey the law. Now that you believe in Jesus, you've got to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, you're not right with God. 
And Paul was grumpy about this because he knew that wasn't the gospel message. And then there were these other folks over here that were saying, hey, you know Jesus, you are free. You have God's grace. Do whatever you'd like. And Paul knew that that too wasn't the gospel message. And so he was trying to remind these new believers of what it was really all about. And he talks about this in verse 2 and 3, about trying to obey the whole law. That if you were to obey part of the law, you have to obey the whole law. Here the issue is circumcision. Not exactly something we talk a lot about in the church. It's not good preaching material. But this was one of the issues in Galatians. That's why it's being talked about. These people were being tugged. Here's your first hoop now that you believe in Jesus. And Paul is saying, by the way, that's not necessary. But more importantly, if you're going to obey one thing, you have to obey the whole law. The whole law. That it's not, you know, this stop sign, but not that stop sign. Well, it could be, but you're not really obeying the whole law. You see, this is an important message for Paul. It's, you can't look for life and salvation and justification in the law. He's reminding them of that message that he keeps having to say over and over and over again. It's, you know, it's not a sort of obedience. You know those rectangular signs on the road that have numbers on them, preceded by the word limit? Most oftentimes, if we're honest, those are somewhat moving targets. That I've yet to meet that person who is perfectly obedient to that number at all times. Paul wants people to know, these, wants these Christians to know that if you're looking for life in the law, you better be ready to obey the whole law all the time. And he goes on in verse 4. This is an important verse. If you're trying to be justified by the law, you've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. These are harsh words. Think of what it means to be alienated. You probably experienced alienation in a relationship before, maybe with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. As you think about being adopted children of God, part of God's family, alienation is particularly disheartening. Alienation doesn't feel very good to be alienated from the God of the universe. Fallen away from grace, that we don't fully experience all that grace is for us when we focus on life in obedience to the law. And so Paul was challenging these folks over here. Luther talked about this, that really when we try to find life and justification by obeying the law perfectly, we are outside of the condition of God's grace. We live outside the kingdom of God. We don't get to experience all of the love and mercy that Jesus Christ has for us. And when we make it about that perfect obedience, about the things that we can do and we can control, we're essentially saying to God, I've got this. I can trust me more than I can trust you. So Paul, this is an issue for Paul. But you see, Paul now has made his argument once again for these folks that it's not about the law, the ignoring of it or the obeying of it. Again, remember, there's not this kind of partial in between that we become accustomed to. But now Paul, in verse 5, turns his argument to perhaps one of the most important verses, I think, in all the Scripture. It's a summary of the Gospel message. 
And I'll tell you, over the past two years, as I've wrestled with this passage in particular, it has changed my life dramatically. Dramatically. And so here, look along with me, please, at verse 5. This is such important stuff. Through, through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For through the Spirit, remember, it's only by God's action. It's only by God's initiation. It's only because of the Holy Spirit nudging us, pointing us, showing us to God that any of this happens. That the Christian life, that our salvation, that our growing in faith, all happens through the Spirit. Not through Marcus, not through each of us. That it's all possible because God always initiates we simply respond. It's because of God's initiation through the Spirit. It goes on. We eagerly await. Now, I'm not particularly patient, as we noted. I've noted in my sermons. Maybe you've gotten to observe it. If not, you will, I promise. And I'll get to that later in the sermon. We eagerly await. I do a lot of waiting. I don't like waiting. Okay? But there's a difference between eagerly awaiting and waiting. I wait in the dentist's office. I do not eagerly await. Okay? I wait in the line of the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. I do not eagerly await. But my children on Christmas Eve, now that's eagerly awaiting, right? And see, that's what we're called to be. I love this. That we are called to wait on God to initiate. We are to wait on God with eagerness, with anticipation, with expectation, with, with joy. And I love that, thinking of that analogy of Christmas Eve, even though it means a late night and often an early morning. And then it goes on here, by faith. I'll get back to that. The righteousness for which we hope. The word righteousness, right living, the right way, the right life, the right circumstance. That what we're waiting for is righteousness in our own lives and in the world, in our relationships. The right thing. We wait on God for the right thing. The righteousness for which we hope, that we as Christians are called to live in hope, not in dread. Not in worry, not in fear. God has already taken care of it all for us. So we can eagerly await with hope that God will make all things right. And I'll tell you, the more that I think and live this way, the more free I feel, back to this freedom thing, the more relaxed, the more abundant life seems to really be for me. There are so many things in each of our lives that are not right. Many of them out of our own control. And we should eagerly await that God, knowing and hope that God will make all things right. That God has all situations under control. And I have to remind myself of this frequently. But let's go back to that little phrase in between the sentence. By faith. Now, you've heard me talk about this a million times, and I can't say that you won't hear, hear it a million more, but it's really important. You see, we have a problem with this word faith in our culture. We've, we've kind of defined it awfully narrowly, 
perhaps a little too easily, that we think of faith as belief. But see, the word faith here, the Greek word, it's one of the Greek words you'll hear me talk about all the time, is pistis. Almost every instance in the New Testament, it uses some form of this word when it talks about trust in the Greek. And that word doesn't actually mean belief or faith, but that word literally means trust. And I'll tell you right now, there's a very big difference between believing and trusting, especially when it comes to God. Believing can be passive. It can be active, too. But trust really can't be that passive. There's an, a, there's an active sacrificing, an active letting go of control. That's my least favorite part of trust. That this trust thing is significant. That I can believe that Jessica loves me, and I do. But trusting that is an entirely different thing. And I do, by the way, just for the record. That when I approach a four-way stop, I can believe that the person coming the other way is going to stop too, that they're not one of those over here, just obeying part of the law. But trusting that they're going to stop is a different thing. Trust is by nature active. It is the one great thing God has called us to. It is our one response. Trust. It's our one response. It's what we do. God initiates. God saves us. God chooses us. God loves us. God justifies us. God helps us grow in our faith. God transforms us. Our one action is to trust. And I'll be honest with you, this is where this passage has changed me dramatically over the past two years. I've always loved Jesus since I came to know Jesus. I've been passionate about my faith, trying to grow in the midst of my mistakes and failures and personality. But, I'll be honest, I spent a little more time controlling than I did trusting. I made a little extra work for myself. I had to help God get things figured out. But I'll tell you, there's a dramatic difference between before this passage and since this passage. That in the past two years, working hard primarily in my faith life on trust has resulted a dramatic difference. Circumstances haven't necessarily changed, but they've been more, they've been more joyful. It's been easier to get through them. It's been more freeing. And by the way, it's worked out a lot faster and a lot smoother. And I kind of have to kick myself because every once in a while something will come up and I'll get worried or anxious or insecure and I'll try and get on it instead of trusting. And I end up creating more stress and more work for myself. And I lose that freedom that I really want so badly, that freedom to be fully who Christ has created me to be. You see, this trusting really is meant to transform us. It's meant to change us. You see, it's not about our actions and the law, whether partway or over here and doing whatever we want or perfect observance. See, you don't, you don't have to trust if you focus on your actions. But listen, focusing on our actions instead of trusting the Spirit is a lot easier. It's a lot easier. We have control over it. We can manage it. We can understand it. We can measure it. But this call of life in Christ is pretty simple. Through the work of the Spirit, we, by trusting, experience in waiting, eagerly awaiting, the right things that God has in store for us, the right things that we hope and dream and wish for. It's in letting go that we live. It's in trusting 
that we are free. It's really entrusting that we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, faith is always relational. It's about that trust relationship with Jesus. Trusting. Trusting over and over again. And that's where freedom in life is really found. So this verse is so important to us. A hidden gem that, like many in Scripture, we miss. And then he goes on in verse 13. Answers these folks over here and saying, you're called to be free, but not to indulge the flesh, not to do whatever you want, but rather to serve one another in love. That's what our freedom is for. Not to do whatever we want, but to serve humbly in love. In verse 14, he says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Sound familiar? That it's in trusting God that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in trusting God that we are able to find and able to express and experience and really love our neighbors and ourselves. As if that weren't enough, Paul goes on in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. He talks about in verse 16 and in verse 17 how all of this stuff that we do with the law is contrary to the Spirit. That, that my desires, the desires of this group, they're saying do whatever you want, the desires of the flesh... They're contrary to life in the Spirit. And in our culture, this is the problem. We often think it's between two choices or a compromise of the two choices. So in Galatia, it's either obey the whole law or do whatever you want. And then sometimes it's like, oh, well, let's just kind of compromise. Let's take a little bit of each. But you see, here's, here's something about Jesus that you need to know. Jesus was always about the third way. It wasn't a compromise of the two. It was greater and more meaningful than the others. And the third way in this case is life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. That it's not about doing whatever we'd like or perfect obedience. It's about living in the Holy Spirit. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Then verses 19 through 21 kind of read like a really bad frat party. This terrible list of all these things that people could do things that Paul was passionate about. This is kind of what was happening here, so he was going after that group of folks. And then we go on to perhaps one of the most quoted, postered, t-shirted passages in all of Scripture about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. This translation says forbearance, which I like better than patience. It sounds easier, right? Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Pretty good list, right? I usually do okay, depending on what time of the day it is, until at least number three. You see, I want to point out that this is not only a contrast to the other list, but it's not a new list of the things that we need to perfectly obey. Try it for a day. You can't do this on your own any more than you can do the other. But here's something to note about this. It says here, but the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, fruit. Fruit, one fruit. One fruit. That the life in Christ bears fruit. That when you walk in the Spirit, fruit happens. It's not something you do or control. When you walk in the Spirit, 
fruit happens. And this is what happens. This is what life in the Spirit looks like. And I'd like to be those things, as much as I joke about my lack of patience. I'd like to be those things. But that doesn't happen on my own action. That happens by walking in the Spirit, verse 25. So we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That this is the life that we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. That through the Spirit, by trusting, we eagerly await the righteousness for which we hope. That our job is to trust and to walk with the Spirit. To walk in step with the Spirit. To look to each moment and look for the Holy Spirit. And look to do and be about what the Holy Spirit is doing. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple to understand. Really hard to live. But if you want true freedom, if you want the right life, the right living, if you want to experience this fruit of the Spirit, this pretty amazing one fruit, it means that you walk in step with the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Not by your pleasures and passions and desires and opinions and philosophies, and not by your law, not by the Old Testament law or all these laws. It's good to obey laws. But this is the thing. If we walk in the Spirit, all of the law, all of it, including that love God, others, and self, all of it will happen naturally. So we don't have to force it. Instead, we can actually trust and walk with the Spirit. And the Spirit will make it happen. God will do it. God will make it happen. We don't have to. We have to trust and walk with the Spirit and let the Spirit do the rest. That's where we find life. That's where we live as transformed Christians. That's where the abundance and the freedom that we really desire is found. Let us pray. God, thank you for these words and the way that they challenge us to think differently and live differently. Help us to be a people who have the courage to trust in you and to walk in and with the Holy Spirit in each and every moment of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.